This is Julie D, and you're listening to the Nordonia We Need to Talk Podcast Network, brought to you by NordoniaHills.News, recorded in the Gary Miller Studio. Cleveland Sports Podcast starts now. Welcome to the Cleveland Sports Show with Brady and Darius. This is our second show after our first show was last week. Today we will be talking more about the Cleveland Indians and their recent uprising in the standings. And we will talk about both Game 7s and the NBA playoffs from last weekend. And we will talk about what happened in Game 1 of the NBA Finals and what the Cavs need to do to get back on track in Game 2. To start off, let me start talking about the Cleveland Indians. They just came off a six-game win streak this past week, but the win streak ended last night in Minnesota. Andrew Miller went back on the disabled list this past week, and he hopes to come back fully healthy next time. Michael Brantley has been heading very well the past few weeks. He had a 19-game hit streak this past few weeks, and he has the 10th best batting average in the league. Jose Ramirez is also batting very well. He is 5th in RBIs in the league with 41, and he is tied for the league-leading home runs with 18 home runs on the season. On Thursday, Shane Bieber was called up from AAA to make his MLB debut. He pitched 5 and 2 thirds of an inning. He gave up 4 runs, 1 walk, and 6 strikeouts. The Indians had an 8-2 lead early, but the bullpen came in and blew it again. They gave up 6 runs in Minnesota tied it 8-8, but thanks to Francisco Lindor's home run in the 8th inning, that gave them the win 9-8, and Cody Allen came in to save it. Corey Kluber is once again pitching great this season, and on Wednesday, he pitched 6 innings, gave up only 3 hits, and he had 10 strikeouts. He is 8-2 on the year, and he has a 2.02 ERA, which is 4th in the league. And now we will bring in the 2 Game 7s in the West and East Finals. First, to begin, we uh, have the Eastern Conference Finals from this past Sunday, Game 7. Uh, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers and Boston Celtics. The Cleveland Cavaliers won by a score of 87-79. to LeBron James played the entire game and did not rest for a single second. But in those 48 minutes that he played, he was able to put up 35 points, and he shot 50% from the field with 15 total rebounds. On the other side, the Celtics star Jason Tatum scored 24 points and shot 9 of 17 from the field. This was a game that we could clearly see the Celtics' young players were not able to rise to the occasion. The moment was unfortunately just too big for them, and LeBron James, who's one of the most prolific scorers in the NBA and one of the most experienced players in the NBA, was able to put on a show at the TD Garden, and he willed his Cavaliers to victory um, by a margin of 8 points. Additionally, the Celtics just did not have enough help with Jason Tatum. Al Horford only put in 17 points, and he only attempted one three-pointer. And Terry Rozier was just not making his his shots. Um, Smart was not having uh, one of those Marcus Smart-type games that we generally see of the grit and determination that he generally plays with. And then you add J.R. Smith, who scored 12 points. The bench, Jeff Green, had a sensational game to help LeBron will the Cavaliers to victory and give them an Eastern another Eastern Conference championship. 
And then the West earned conference finals that we had this past Monday on Memorial Day. James Harden, the only star present for the Rockets, put up 32 points. However, he was only 2 for 13 on three-point shooting. This is an MVP candidate that we have been talking about for the entire season. And he was one of the main reasons the Houston Rockets missed over 20 straight three-pointers in a row. And if you do that against the Golden State Warriors, who punish you for any mistake you make, the Warriors are obviously going to beat you, and they're going to score. For example, Kevin Durant, 34 points and three blocks, and Stephen Curry, 7 of 15 three-pointers and four steals. These are the Warriors that we've been watching for the last four years. Um, These last two years with Kevin Durant, they've just been even more dominant, and Game 7 was just another proof in the pudding of their dominance in this league. Uh, We could argue that the absence of Chris Paul was a huge letdown for Houston. It could have changed the entire outcome of the game. But in the end of the day, the Warriors were the better team. They played better team basketball. They were more efficient from the field, and that's what got them to the NBA Finals for a fourth straight year. Yes, and to go back talking about the Eastern Conference Game 7, I really like what the bench did to help LeBron win that game. And I don't... I think if it wasn't for mostly Jeff Green getting hot, I don't think we would have won that game. Jeff Green put up 19 points, and I was very surprised by the effort he put up and how he performed. I think that kind of carried over in game one of the NBA Finals. Both Kevin Love coming back, he didn't have to do as much, so that's why he didn't put up as many points, but I still like the Jeff Green effort he's been putting in games as of late. Definitely, and I think if um, JR's starting to get come back a little bit, uh, unfortunately he did have that terrible mistake that we'll talk about later in this past uh, game one of the finals, but J.R. Smith, I think, is starting to find his confidence once again. He proved it in game seven. He's starting to find his swagger back, and hopefully his momentum is uh, able to carry on throughout these finals because it would bring a huge boost to the Cavaliers and it wouldn't put as much pressure on LeBron James. It'd still have a significant amount of pressure on himself, but it would just decrease a little bit if JR uh, got his swagger back and was shooting the ball. Yeah, definitely on the on the road would help. He, he was really struggling on the road this postseason, but he found it in Game 7 putting up 12 points and Game 1 he put up 10 points. And I really think he needs to keep it up in order for us to even have a shot at winning the championship. And talking about Kevin Love, he had a great game one in my opinion. He put up 21 points and 13 rebounds. And that's what we need out of Kevin Love every game for now moving forward. We need him to be the all-star that we know he could be. And I think that's the best he looked all postseason in game one. The problem, though, that I had with Kevin Love's performance is that he shot one of eight from three-point. And we know Kevin Love is one of the best three-point shooters on the Cavs, and he's that right-hand man to LeBron James. So if Kevin Love isn't shooting well from the... I know he put up 21 points, and the Cavs, unfortunately, need more than that from him. Uh, Kevin Love has to score 30 or 40 points a game, as well as the performances from LeBron that we've been seeing if they if those two can do that side by side then they have an even better chance to win games 
So the problem with Kevin Love is he, he needs to do a more efficient job on shooting uh, from the three-point line and drawing fouls. Yeah, I know what you're saying about being efficient from the three-point line, but I feel like he made up for it down low in the paint, and he was being aggressive down low in game one. And I, but I disagree about him putting up 30, 40 points a game for us to win. I feel like 20, 25 is enough as long as the other bench players step up like they did in game seven. But I do not see enough bench players step up in game one like they did in game seven. Larry Nance Jr. had nine points and 11 rebounds in game seven, which I really liked from him. And Jeff Green had seven points also. And in my opinion, I think the bench needs to be more consistent in putting up points and helping out LeBron James. I don't think it could be just two or three guys stepping up every night. It has to be the whole the whole bench stepping up. And George Hill really struggled from the floor um, in game one. And Jordan Clarkson, he was, I thought he was awful in game one. I do not think that he should be on the floor at all in game two. I think Corver should all, to point off your bench, Corver needs to be getting more minutes. I can't emphasize that enough with the quality of shooting that he brings for this team. And when JR is having off nights, JR Smith, you have to bring Corver in and um, give him more minutes because he's not a guy who's going to go cold from the three point line. He's going to make his shots. And I think Teron Lu hasn't. Uh, really emphasize that enough with the Cavs. They need to put Corver in uh, and give him as many minutes as he possibly can have. Yes, I totally agree with that. And in my opinion, I think he's the best three-point shooter on our team, even better than Kevin Love. And when he gets hot, he's almost unstoppable. The, the way he shoots the ball and the catch and release from him, it's amazing to watch. And when he gets hot, I think the other players get an effect on him from him, and they start to get hot too. Late in the fourth quarter in Game Seven, Jared Smith made a huge mistake off of a missed George Hill free throw. It was George Hill missed his second free throw, and his first free throw tied the game at 107. Jared Smith grabbed the rebound with four seconds left, and he just dribbled out to the three-point line, trying to run out the clock. In my opinion, he had no idea what the score was or how much time was left. I, in my opinion, he thought that they had the lead when they didn't. LeBron was yelling at him and pointing to him to pass the ball or shoot it. And he just dribbled out to the three-point line. Actually, that was a, wasn't game seven. It was game one of this finals. But I think we all know what you meant uh, by what you said. Uh, this could possibly be one of, if not the worst mistake J.R. Smith has ever made in his career. One of the silliest decisions that he's, I think he's ever made. You, he ha- If you're a basketball player and you're playing on the, fort- on the court, especially in this caliber level, you have to know the score and you have to know how much time was left. And J.R. Smith did not know either of those. Um... When he got the off- offensive rebound over Gerald Hill, keep in mind, he got that over Kevin Durant, who's much taller than JR, who could have easily gotten that rebound, but with his, Kevin Durant did not have an efficient performance in Game 1, and JR Smith was able to, was able to out-effort him and grab that offensive rebound. And 
what he needed to do was either pass it to LeBron or put it back up and in off the glass because he was I mean we saw it we've all we all saw it happened he was right under the basket and clearly he did not know the score because he ran out no one else would have run out if they knew the score was tied with 4.7 seconds on the shot clock it was just a le- it was a horrible mistake a lethal mistake and that's probably the number one reason to why the Warriors eventually won the game and then they pulled uh, J.R. Smith uh, eventually forced overtime and the Warriors pulled away in overtime. This better team basketball, and the Cavaliers were just fatigued from a 48-minute battle. Yes, and let's not forget that J.R. Smith has a history of doing stuff like this. Yeah. Late in the game with the Knicks a few years ago, he thought that they needed a three-pointer to win, but they were actually only down one, and a two-pointer would have won the game. But instead, he shot a three-pointer. And last year with the Cavs, he thought that he checked out of the game, but he was actually still on the floor, and he let his opponent get a wide-open layup because he thought he was out of the game, but he was actually still in the game. So J.R. Smith has the history of this, and I really think that his mistake could really be the reason why the Cavs lose the series because the Cavs needed to get one game in Oakland for sure to have a good chance at at a championship, but and the Cavs really had it at the end, but J.R. Smith, I think, blew it for us. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And then we have all the other calls that happened throughout towards the end of the game as well. Yeah, we have the LeBron blocking foul that was originally called charging foul by Kevin Durant, but was overturned to a blocking foul by LeBron James. What do you think about that call? It's one of the most frustrating calls that even a Cavs fan has to go through. Not even a Cavs fan, just an NBA fan in general. The frustrating thing about the instant replays now is that every time um, a team wants the play to be reviewed, or as, as I've been watching NBA basketball throughout this season, I've seen that when a team wants a play to be reviewed, the referees will go to the instant replay, they'll check it out, and then they'll generally, 95% of the time, always reverse the call that they previously had made. And yesterday was no exception to this. We clearly, an NBA fan, could clearly see that that was an offensive foul by Kevin Durant. And LeBron was in legal guarding position, you could see it, and when Kevin Durant barrels into LeBron, LeBron falls, it's clearly an offensive foul. I think everyone, everyone can agree that that's an offensive foul. And the frustrating part is that the Warriors asked, they asked the refs, hey, look at that, which is okay because they technically were allowed to do that because it was in the final two minutes of the game. But the frustrating part is they reversed the call. And we as NBA fans are looking at this and we're wondering how could that possibly be? It's clearly a charging foul. It's a very ridiculous call in many uh, of NBA fans' eyes. And it's it's very unfortunate for the Cavs that that have to happen. Yeah, I think it's definitely a um, charging foul by Kevin Durant. And I think they made the wrong decision by overturning the call and turning it into a blocking foul. And who knows what would have happened if that was actually a charging foul. The Cavs would have got the possession and... They already had the lead at that point, so who knows what 
what would have happened the rest of the game. But when they went to review it, and I saw the replay, I agree that is a charge. Um, that's a charging foul by Kevin Durant. But I could see why they overturned it because even though LeBron was there and he was in legal guarding position, his right leg was still moving when Kevin Durant went up for the shot. So I do see why the refs overturned it, but I disagree that, and I don't think they should have done that. Kevin Durant barreled into LeBron James, though. He basically, I mean, if we saw he jumped into LeBron, which caused LeBron to fall. Therefore, it, I mean, like you said, it's, I mean, it's obviously a charging foul on uh, Kevin Durant. So I guess we, you could see if you really took it specifically, but it's game one of the NBA Finals. Everything's on the line. LeBron was over 50 points at that point. And just not to get the benefit of the doubt on one call, it really just doesn't make any sense for me. Yeah, maybe if he just got there just a half a second earlier, it would have been definitely a charging foul. And let's talk about LeBron putting up 51 points. He had another great game, and this was his finals career high. He put up 51 points, and he even put up 8 rebounds and 8 assists. Even with LeBron doing this good, the Cavs still found a way to lose at the end. And I really think that LeBron needs to put up this type of game at least two or three more times this series in order to have a chance at Golden State. And Golden State really, I think they're off this year. I think um, they're having chemistry issues with Kevin Durant and Steve Kerr. And I think... That this is our time to step up on defense. Definitely game two. Grab a win in Oakland and come back home with a one one series tie. But if we if we really think about it, how many times have players put up back to pack fifty point games? James Harden did it in uh, December where he put up back to pack fifty one point games, which is a huge reason one of the main reasons he can be considered a league MVP. But I think that it's going to be extremely tough for LeBron James to put up another Herculean effort, especially in Oakland. Now that the Warriors have have seen the Cavs, they've seen what they're made of, they now can implement their plan. Steve Kerr can tell his team what to do, can inform his team, here's, here's what you guys need to do, here's how we stop LeBron. And if you stop LeBron, you basically stop the rest of the Cavs. And LeBron needs to put up 50-point numbers again, something similar to that. But it's with the new and improved uh, Warriors team that would come out in Game 2 because of what they learned from Game 1. It's going to be a lot more difficult for LeBron James to have his way in the paint. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough game for the Cavs to try and come out to win. In Game 2, Warriors are coming off an overtime win. They're going to have the um, momentum coming in game two because of that overtime win. They're at home. They want to go up 2-0 before heading back here to Cleveland. And I think definitely at the end of the at the end of overtime game one, I think that hurt us even more with the Tristan Thompson Draymond Green scuffle at the end. Tristan Thompson got called for an ejection foul. I totally disagree. I don't think that should have been been an ejection. And even post game. That referee who called it said from his angle he thought his elbow was hitting him in the face 
but he said that he made the wrong call. And yesterday, the NBA downgraded it to a flagrant one, but fined Tristan Thompson $25,000 for the shoving the ball in Draymond Green's face. And this is the NBA Finals. That kind of stuff is bound to happen because the competition at this stage, at this level, is extreme. And the referees need to understand that, and they have to show a little bit of leniency. I don't see how Tristan Thompson can be ejected on this play. I mean, we've, I mean, I've seen the replay countless times, and each time I've seen that replay, I always keep asking myself, how does that deserve an ejection? It doesn't make any sense, and the even more frustrating part about it is if you're a Cavs fan, as we see Draymond Green going up and hyping the crowd and making all the Golden State's fans happy about well, what's going on, and then you see Tristan Thompson walking off the court, and he did not deserve to walk off the court at all. It's the NBA Finals. Like I said, the competition is at its best, and the referees need to understand that and show a, a little bit of leniency towards towards the players at this point. I mean, it's towards the end of the game. The outcome was pretty much decided. And, of course, frustration is going to take its place, especially uh, with the Cavs players. And for a call like that to be made, I just don't think it was fair for the Cavs. Uh, towards the end of the game, both fourth quarter and overtime, the refs seemed to be putting the game more in towards the Warriors, and this gave the, the Warriors a lot of momentum, especially going into Game 2. Yes, and with Tristan Thompson, while he was walking off of the floor after getting ejected, Jermaine Green was waving by to him. I, I think that's really what triggered him to shove the ball in his face. Draymond Green is probably my least favorite Golden State Warriors player. I cannot stand him whatsoever, and I really hope that we shut him down in game two and get revenge on him. I definitely think that Draymond Green has the um he has the emotion he controls the emotional aspect for the Warriors. He's their go to Kai when it comes for passion and confidence. And I just think the cockiness of the Warriors, especially at the end of the game, it could cost them go um, as the series continues because we know that LeBron James, after an NBA Finals loss, is going to come out extremely strong. He's not going to go down to anyone. And with the Warriors showing that little bit of cockiness towards the end of the game, LeBron is going to be even more motivated to go and get one against this team. And like we've said throughout these two podcasts, it, the, the main question is, can the Cavs bench step up? and essentially um, do business against the Warriors, especially in Oakland where it's a much tougher task away from home. Yes, and with their cockiness at the end of game one, I think it will have a – I think it will make the the whole team, the Cavs team, more determined to win game two than they already were. Not just LeBron James, the whole team. I think they will come in with fire. I think they will start off hot. I think they'll have a close game, at least for the first half. And Golden State is a really good third-quarter team, and that's sometimes, depending on how good they have of a third quarter, that determines the outcome of a game. So I think tomorrow night in the third quarter, the Cavs really need to be locked down defense and shut down the Warriors in game three 
and still have this game by by the fourth quarter. And you mentioned a lot of uh, great uh, points about the Warriors in their third quarter. That's the Achilles heel for almost any team that you face. But I will have to admit, in game one in that third quarter, the Cavs kept uh, kept fighting, and they were not going to let the Warriors pull away. And when the fourth quarter began, it was still a close game. Uh, Cavs were going in by one point. The Cavs were getting the lead, and then all of that drama happened towards the end of the game. So the Cavs need another third quarter like that for the Warriors not to get go you know go on a huge run and basically have the game entail when the fourth quarter arrives. But I think the third quarter Achilles heel for Houston, especially in Game Seven, was the reason they lost that game. I mean, if if, if any of us NBA fans watched that game, we could see the Warriors just exploded. Kevin Durant. Stephen Curry hit some threes uh, as well. And then in game six of the last Saturday of the Western Conference Finals as well, Houston Rockets were up 10 going into the third quarter and then just found themselves trailing. The Warriors kept going on many runs. The score of the entire second half of game six in the Western Conference Finals was 64-25 to in favor of Golden State. The... Rockets only had 25 points in that entire second half. So I think if the Cavs don't want something like that to happen to them and get blown out of the building, especially away from home, they have to replicate the third quarter that they had this past Thursday if they want any chance to win. Yes, and this past Thursday in Game 1, Gose actually started off really good in the first few minutes of the third quarter, but the Cavs called timeout, and after that, the Cavs went on run and made it a close game once again. And I really like that effort from the Cavaliers and for the whole game in game one. And they need to carry that over. And they cannot let all these distractions at the end of game one bring them down. And from the sound of George Hill and J.R. Smith post game, I think they're both really upset with themselves and they're both trying to get over what they've done at the end of game one. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they both play in game two. Just out of uh, curiosity, what are your predictions for what's going to happen in Game 2? I actually think that the Cavaliers will come out on top. I think it will be a very close game. I think the Warriors and Cavs will both go on runs in the second half, but I think the Cavaliers keep it close, and LeBron finishes finishes it off at the end with another 40-point playoff game, and I think I see the Cavaliers winning by seven. And let's not forget, LeBron needs to have a 40-point game, 40-50 point game in order to have a chance against this team. And then I think if Korver also, you know, does his magic behind the three-point line, just keeps shooting and shooting and getting more minutes. Um, If George Hill can have a more efficient game offensively, as well as um, Tristan Thompson, I think that there's actually a chance that we could win this game. But you can never count out Golden State. They're always going to be the top dog. They're never The Golden State Warriors are never the underdog, especially this season. And I think the Cavs have to keep an open mind about that, and they just have to go to Oracle, take care of business, and have a goal for Game 3 to have this series tied at one game apiece. So how do you think Game 2 is going to play out? To be honest with you, I see the Warriors catching a little bit more momentum in the fourth quarter because just everyone on the Cavs will just be exhausted. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I hope this does not happen. I hope that the Cavaliers are able to pull this away. I mean, this is the Cleveland sports show. We're for all the Cleveland teams, so we always hope that the Cavaliers, we hope the Cavaliers will get it done tomorrow. But as an NBA fan and watching the Warriors, uh, I just think that they ha- they'll have more energy. They have, you know, they have guys off the bench like Sean Livingston and Nick Young. Uh, Sean Livingston, who's a great veteran, might be able to put the game away. Um, but I see the Warriors winning by by a smaller margin. I don't think they'll win by 10 points. They'll probably win by 5 points, 4 points. Again, I don't want this to happen. hope it's the other way around for the Cavaliers. But just um, as an NBA fan and watching this, I don't see what the Cavaliers will be able to do when that time comes, especially in front of the raucous Oracle crowd. Yes, and as they actually do win game two, I wonder how the series will change yeah. coming back to Cleveland. I think the Cavs will win at least one of the two back here in Cleveland, but I think it will be tough for them to win three in a row against Golden State and have a 3-1 lead. I do, not, I do not see that happening at all. I think Golden State will get hot one of these games, and I do see one of these games coming up being a blowout, either it's in game three or four, or even game five, if there's a game five. And to get off your point, uh, Golden State, one of the best road teams in the NBA. I mean, if we had, a, if I personally had a choice, if I had to choose an NBA road team uh, to play and win, who would I choose? It, it would be the Golden State Warriors because they they play extremely well on the road. They have one of the best road records in the NBA. They play their brand of basketball on the road, and they're not afraid to do it. So the Cavaliers, even if they do, when if they hopefully do pull out a 1-1 series draw, they have to understand that the Warriors are extremely capable of winning at the Q. They've done it multiple times in these last few seasons, and it's very possible that if it is tied 1-1 coming back to Ohio, it could be 3-1 Warriors, and the Cavs need to be aware of that. Is I think... I agree with what you just said, and I think the fans will definitely be helping Cleveland in these home games. And I think Cleveland is a much better, much better team at home. The bench players step up at home. Everybody improves more at home. They play tougher. They play better, and definitely in front of our crowd. And I think that's going to be the main difference of this series going back to Golden State tied 2-2 at the least. And yeah, and you're, def- you're definitely right about the Cavs do play a lot better at home at, the, at Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, and we that was, Our best example of that was against the Celtics when they were down in the series, and then all the players like J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, and Kyle Korver, they all played extremely well and led the Cavaliers to winning all of their home games in that series and then propelling them to that game 7 win at TD Garden. You also have to talk about the Toronto series where they swept the Raptors uh, which let's be honest none of us thought would happen and at home they were dominant LeBron had to save the game for the Cavaliers in game three uh, with that with that floater off the glass but other than that in game four was a complete blowout and the Cavaliers just showed the Raptors that at home uh, they cannot be beaten and I think everybody was really surprised that the Cavaliers swept the Raptors. I was even surprised myself. I thought that would be our toughest series of the postseason, but 
the Raptors have really struggled in the postseason the past few years, and they definitely showed it this this year, struggling in the first round against the Wizards and then being swept by us. Now, I think it's curious. I'm just curious about how Toronto will be next season. They're going to be getting a new head coach. I just wonder how they'll be doing next season. I think DeMar DeRozan will probably be traded. He'll probably go because as great as DeMar DeRozan is, he cannot shoot three-pointers, and that really hurts the Raptors because Kyle Lowry is really their only prolific three-point shooter. And with DeMar DeRozan, who's an exceptional mid-range shooter, but you just can't get it done from the three-point line, um, you have to look at probably breaking their backcourt up. I think that they're also a little too old now. It's Serge Ibaka, C.J. Miles. Um, they need to get some more young talent in. They need to get some more efficient big men. Uh, I, I don't think Valanciunas really is getting it. He didn't really get it done in this series, especially Game 1. I don't know if you remember, but in Game 1 of that series, um, the Raptors had a ton of chances to win it, like in the final seconds. Valanciunas missed a put-back rebound and eventually propelled the Cavaliers to their Game 1 win. So I think the, I don't think firing their head coach, Dwayne Casey, was the smartest move because Dwayne Casey's uh, one of the candidates for Coach of the Year. And with firing Casey, now you have to wonder who, who, who are the Raptors going to get as a head coach, and it's one of the questions that they'll have to deal with over the offseason. Going back to... You saying you think DeMar DeRozan should be traded or is going to be. Where do you think he would land? I've heard rumors about Los Angeles, but in our last podcast we said Los Angeles should always be out of the question. Um, to be honest with you, I think he should probably go to a, to a team that's growing right now. Um, he could go to, for example, he, he needs to be in a team that is a contender for the playoffs. I think he should stay in the East. Um, he could go to the, he can go to the Pacers with Victor Oladipo. If, if we think about it, there really isn't a place that Demar that we think of Demar Derozan can go because he's been with the Raptors for his entire career. So it's extremely difficult to put him um, to think about him on another team. Um, but I think he should definitely stay somewhere in the East because it'll be an easier road for his for whichever team he played for to get to the finals. I like, I like what you're saying, and if he does go to Indiana, I think it'll be a really interesting team to watch next year. They already had a better season than they expected this year, and they almost pulled out a first-round upset with the Cavs. They took them to Game 7, and... Maybe with more help other than just Victor Oladipo, I think they could easily beat us. I think we got lucky that they didn't have another second star other than Victor Oladipo. And with the addition of DeMar DeRozan on their team, I think they'll be a very tough team to beat, definitely in the division next year. And if you think um, if LeBron leaves to go to the West... If he leaves the Cavs to go somewhere in the West, that opens up a lot uh, more room for teams to easily get to the finals. So, for example, the Celtics, 76ers, and even the Pacers with a new with uh, Demar Derozan. 
But if LeBron stays in the East, for example, if he stays with the Cavs, which I can't imagine him doing, or if he goes to the Philadelphia 76ers, it's still going to be extremely tough for teams in the East, especially against the 76ers, to get to the finals. It's now thinking about this week, about LeBron in this summer free agency. And I was thinking to myself, I think he will end up staying. And I think Cleveland will end up bringing another star in to help him. Someone like Paul George or even Kawhi Leonard. And definitely Paul George being a free agent this summer once again. I think that could be a good option for Cleveland bringing in Paul George alongside with LeBron James. But we we said, um, I mean, look at Oklahoma City this year. We said that they'd be probably the Warriors' biggest contender in the West, and they got knocked out in six games by the Utah Jazz, led by a rookie, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I don't. So I'm thinking about chemistry problems. On paper, it sounds it sounds like a huge improvement for the Cavs, but if if we see what if, I mean, look. On paper, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, we saw this is one of the best teams, if uh, second best team in the West, and and look what happened. So we, ha- we the chemistry problems uh, are very um, could re- could occur, and it might and it might not be a, a smart idea for the Cavs. I mean, look what happened with Isaiah Thomas this season, and we eventually had to trade him, and that would be a horrible outcome for Paul George if the same fate had to happen to him as well. Yes, but I'm not really thinking about chemistry issues, bringing him in. I think our roster would be a lot more talented. And with chemistry issues, Paul George and LeBron James teaming up, I'm just thinking about Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. They did have chemistry issues early in that season, but they did find their groove, and they did win the championship. So I don't think chemistry issues would would actually be an issue, but... I really do think that Paul George should he's considered joining Cleveland. Yeah, for sure. Paul George definitely needs to come back to the Eastern Conference if he wants to have a better chance of coming to the finals. I mean, like I talked about, Celtics and 76ers are also a good option for Paul George to go to as well. Yeah, and like I said last week, I think the 76ers would be a much better team this year. I think they'll be adding another star whether it's LeBron James or Paul George. And I think they will end up being the best team in the East if they get one of those two, even if they get Paul George. And I think the 76ers are a really young, upcoming team, good team. And I think it will be them and the Celtics in the East Finals next year. I don't see this Cavaliers team sticking together. I think they have many issues. Um, We could talk about the bench players having issues. Um, too many old players. Um, LeBron not getting enough help. Kevin Love inconsistency, and we can even talk about Tyron Lue and his head coach and his head coach around this year. I think Tyron Lue should not be the Cavaliers' head coach heading into next season, and I think they need to make a change. They're also they're also way over the salary cap, so it's not like they can just go and get whoever they want because they have a lot of financial restrictions. Um, heading into this off season, whether they win or lose. Yeah, and I was thinking about them being them being financially unstable right now. I don't see them bringing back Jeff Green. I think 
after the season, he will be wanting a lot more money than he did this season. And I think it will be very hard for the Cavs to keep some of the bench players they have now, and even keeping LeBron James and bringing in another star. So I really hope that this offseason the Cavaliers do their best to keep this team stable and maybe even keep LeBron James. So game two is tomorrow night at Oracle Arena at 8 o'clock. And later this week we have games three and four before our next podcast. I think that the Cavaliers are going to win game two and you think the Warriors are going to win game two. But we'll see what happens tomorrow night. And But the Cavaliers definitely need to come out hot with everybody supporting LeBron and not having LeBron be the only player shooting well tomorrow night. Thank you for listening to this week, and we will be back next weekend.